Thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you. We ask that your spirit lead and guide us as we look at this, this psalm and possibly the next one. And we just thank you for each person that's here in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, Psalm 70. To the chief musician, a psalm of David to bring, to bring remembrance. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and confounded that seek my soul. Let them be turned backward and put to confusion that desire my hurt. Let them be turned back for a reward for their shame that say, aha, aha. Let all those that seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And let such as love your salvation say continually, let the Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Make haste unto me. O God, you are my help and my deliverance. O Lord, make no tarrying. All right, a little short one. Don't think it's going to take too long on this one. Never know. Never know. This is true. Basically, David's trying to give a give a psalm of of just to help people remember. But it starts with "Make haste, O God, to, to deliver me. Make haste to help me." And here, David's just saying, "God, come quickly." We've all said that prayer ourselves probably many times. God, come quickly. I need your help. Hurry, you know, God, God, make it yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Get get here yesterday, but he's saying, make haste, O God, to deliver, and this this word for deliver is to snatch away, to, to rescue. He's wanting to be snatched out of these problems, and then he goes and make haste to help me, O Lord. And we've, like I said, we've all had this prayer at various times in our life. God, you know. I want help. I need it. <laughs> you know, don't, don't delay. And unfortunately, from our perspective, God delays quite often. Mm-hmm. He, wants to, he wants us to be in a place where our faith is tested, what we believe in is tested, and he does things in his own time. And he wants to make sure that he, he allows himself time to show that he is great. And because he knows that if he delivers us too quickly, we're going to say, oh, well, God, I didn't need you. It's like the, the joke about the guy falling off the roof. He's, and he's crying out, God, help me. I need help, help. And he gets caught by a nail. He goes, oh, never mind, God. I didn't need the help after all. <laughs> you know, he got caught because God put something yeah, right. there. But yet he said, oh, I don't need your help, God. You know, I, got, I got it. You know, we're, we're, we're taking okay. And God knows that if he steps in too quickly for us, that somehow we're not going to give him credit in so many instances. So he's going to make sure that he moves at a time when it's very clear that he is doing it. the answer. Mm-hmm. He is the one who did it. And so we look at that. We want him to do quickly. He's going to do it in a time to make sure he gets the praise. Verse 2, let them be ashamed and confounded that seek my soul. Let them be turned backward and put to confusion that desire my hurt. And David here is, is really just praying, you know, there's, there's people that are coming after me, God. Let them be ashamed, disconcerted is another word you could use there, and confounded, abashed. That's quite a, a shame. They're just they're put into to a very shameful place. And we all would love to see that happen to those who come against us. And usually the best way to do it is just let God be our defense. And then God will do just what David has asked. He will bring them to shame. He will make them sorrowful if we will keep our mouth shut and not try to defend ourselves. 
And we all know how easy that is to do, to not defend ourselves. <laughs> you know, somebody's in our face, especially somebody who's family or it's constant, and the first thing we want to do is defend ourselves and not let God defend us. Lash. Huh? Lash, lash out. Lash out. Uh, well, not even necessarily even lashing out. Sometimes it's that I want to correct them and make them understand that what they're doing is wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked about, we see that all the time with our loved ones when we kind of try to tr get them to come to God and we try to do it in our strength. Uh, you know, you shouldn't be doing that or you should do this or whatever it might be. And all we're trying, you know, and they end up feeling condemned or or attacked and they start they start striking back out and if we just sit back and let God deal with it we watch miracles happen and it's an amazing thing because it is very counterintuitive you know our flesh says I've got to do it I've got to do it and, and the spirit says sit back and let God do it and it's amazing how his spirit will make the changes and we watch him move we watch him do things and we go, God, I've been trying that. I've been trying for a decade to get this person to change their way of life. And here I release it to you. And it may still take a decade or a month, but sometimes we see very quick results when God steps in. And I, and I would say normally we see quick results when God steps in. Somebody's life changes drastically. When I'm not sitting there arguing with them and fighting with them and defending myself, because usually that's what it ends up happening, is I defend myself. And when I defend myself, it doesn't work. To let God defend works. And it's even true in any kind of workplace. If you try to defend yourself in the workplace, it usually causes greater friction. But if a manager steps in and says, hey, I saw what was going on, quit doing that. <laughs> Results happen because you're not defending yourself. You may get the same end, you get the end result you wanted, but you're not sitting there fighting and trying to get it. And David is here saying, God, just change them. Go after them. Turn back. Turn backward. Make what they're trying to do go upon themselves. You know. That sounds all good because when things good happen to you in your prayer answer, but then when something is not blocking it after you got the good. That's the hard part is to keep your mouth shut because after you've been grinding, he answered, but now something else came up. Mm -hmm. And that's always going to be the way it is. It's always going to be that way. Once one problem is solved, something else and bigger is going to come along. You may, get, you may get a small space in between them. Sometimes they come right on the heels of each other. And the idea is just to learn to let God defend and learn to keep our mouth shut. So I remember you said each problem gets a bigger problem, you say after. Grows to a bit, gets you ready for the bigger problem. I think we're going to the bigger problem. But even then, the bigger problem is still not that big because you went through one already. Mm -hmm. But if you'd gone straight to the big problem without the, one, the steps in between, it would be like trying to jump over a, over a mountain instead of just continue climbing the little molehills. But it's just sad because we finally got this one part really answered and now it's like we start all over again. There's a little bit of that. There's going to be a little bit about that and it's going to be that way probably yeah. forever. Yeah. <laughs> and usually it's not the same person all the time but every once in a while it's the same person just a different problem within that person but usually God oftentimes God will God will just use what you learn to apply someplace else. 
You learn how to deal with this person, then you get to deal with another person, then you get to deal with another person. Then you might go back and deal with a different area on somebody you've already dealt with. So then like I always have this saying, like I told my sister, I said, Vicki, you know, I always say this, there's a reason for everything. Yep. So I think it's tougher, I guess. <laughs> God wants us to develop a little bit of a, a a little bit of a tough hide toward people that, that what they do and say doesn't bother us because it's him. Usually when people are striking out at us and we're living a Christian life, it's really not even us that they're striking out against. Oftentimes it's the God in us that they see. The, and, and they want to see, number one, is it real? Now when you love somebody, people want to test that. Do you really love me? And that's what they're testing. That's what the world is testing. You say that you love me. You say that God loves me. You say you're loving me with God's love. Do you truly love me? And they're going to try it. And our family loves to try it because they know the buttons to push to, to, get, us, to get us to react anyway. And then they'll turn around and say, well, what kind of Christian are you? Because they're looking for Christ in us. They really are looking for Christ in us. And that's why we need to hide in him so strongly and... We usually will lash out at family when we wouldn't have lashed out at somebody else, especially those of us who are trained to be more professional in life where you can't say something to others. I mean, I worked in restaurant management for years, and this person yelling at you for no reason, what you want to do is tell them to go jump in a lake and never come back again. <laughs> but that's not what you can say to them. You know, if you say that to them, you know, your bosses don't look favorably on that uh, statement, you know. So you've got to be nice to them. God is wanting us to learn to keep our mouths shut and be nice to people and let him be the one that works on them. And we unfortunately, a lot of times with friends or, or, or family, we'll lash out at them real quick and easy because you know, there's this idea they've got to love us, they've got to put up with us so we can do, mm-hmm. we can say or do what we want and others will do the same thing to us. And even with our families, we need to just learn to stay hidden in God and let God work on their life. Just show them love. And so David says, turn back. Let them be turned backward and put to confusion the desire of my hurt. God will be our defender. He will turn back their, their attacks, their charges. And God is very good about this. And we need to be very careful ourselves. If we wanted to attack somebody and, and criticize them, God has this wonderful way of turning back our, our attacks upon people back on us. And we want to be careful about that because he does do just what David asked. Turn, turn them back. And this is something we see. We see this oftentimes. If we'll just shut our mouth, we'll watch God work and turn, the, turn their attack on them. Verse 3, let them be turned back for a reward of their shame that say, aha, aha. And we've talked about this word translated aha aha it means whoa whoa it's this person trying to really say you're getting bad things are coming your way and it's doubled up which means that they're really believing it whoa and so he says let them be turned back as a reward for their shame you know and this is kind of interesting we see this idea of reward and normally when we see reward we think of good things I want to be rewarded for all the good that I do, and that means we want good things. But reward also means payment. And so when you do wrong, you get a reward. You just don't get a reward that you want. Uh, you think back into the, the, the Western days when they would put up reward posters. 
usually saying wanted dead or alive, <laughs> uh, which encourages them to kill you, to bring you back. Oh, uh, you get the same yeah, amount. I get the same amount, get the same amount whether I bring you back dead or alive. Uh, you know, so I'll kill you and bring you back. But this is that whole idea. There's a reward out there. Even when we do wrong, there's a reward that is, that is going to come our way. And bring a long rope. You bring a long rope. So that you can let that horse drift to the back and back. You get where you're going. Oh, okay. I got, I got what you're saying. Verse 4, let all those that seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And let such as love your salvation say continually, let God be magnified. I love this. You know, he's saying, you know, that those that seek you and be glad in you, and let such as love your salvation continually say, let the Lord be magnified. How often do we praise God? How often do we bring God into the city when we're talking with people and saying, God is so good? One of the things that's kind of depressing sometimes when I talk to people who say they're Christians there, you never hear a testimony of what God is doing in their life. And I was listening to a pastor that talking about evangelism. He says, if you don't have God working in your life, and you're talking about things that happened 20 years ago, you're not giving somebody a God that they want to follow. You know, we need to have that testimony. Man, God showed me this in the Bible yesterday, or God answered this prayer, or God did this. And we need to look at our life. What is God doing in my life today? Or at least yesterday. Now, if he's not doing something in our life, why would we follow him in the first place? And that's my call question for people. If, you follow, if you've got a God who's not doing anything for you, why would you follow him? I praise God for all the blessings that he gives me, all the supply, financial supplies he's given me, the fact that I've got good health overall, the fact that I've got people in my life who love me and that I love them. And then the last verse in this, this psalm is, but I am poor and needy. Make haste unto me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, make no tarrying. Yeah. I am humble. I'm, I'm nothing. We all need to have that attitude because before God, we all are weak. We all are poor. We all are needy. And we need him in our life. And it says, you are my help and my deliverer. God is always our help and our deliverer. He's our strong tower. He's our defender. And David goes, make no and Come quickly. <laughs> Come quickly, God. Uh, you know, don't stay behind. David wanted him with him. His whole idea, he was a military man. He wants, the, he wants his guard with him. He doesn't want him someplace behind him. Now, you know, where, where I get attacked first, I get beat up, and then maybe my guard will come up. No, he says, my guard surround, because David was a, was in, knew that. He knew that the guard would surround him, and to get to him, they had to go through his guard. And God is that for us. He is the one that surrounds us, and he, is, he allows whatever, what he will allow, knowing what won't destroy us. But if it's going to really harm us, it won't get through, because he is our guard. He is our personal bodyguard. Yeah. And if you want to think about the, the elite guard of the, the military that surrounds us, and he's the one that does it. And it's very, this picture is just a lovely picture. It's a very short psalm, very lovely psalm that says, God, you're my help. God, you're my help. And, and because you're my help, I'm going to magnify you. 
I'm going to magnify you. How often do you magnify God to others? Is God part of your conversation when you talk to others? He needs to be. He needs to be part of who you are. And I've said it before, it's a great sadness when you get together with a group of Christians you know, and it's one thing just to spend a three or four minute conversation, but if you're with them for 20 or 30 minutes and God is never mentioned at all, you know, and if, especially if you go to an hour or two hours and God is not mentioned, you've got a problem with, with the God you're following. And you need to look and say, God, how important are you to me? How much do I need you? How much am I going to uh, desire you? How much are you doing in my life? And we need to look at that and say, we need to know God better if there's that case. And because we're called to be his witnesses. We're called to be those who, who are looking to him for answers. And very important. You know, and I'm not saying you have to talk about God all the time, but Jesus said that out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. So you need to be listening to yourself. Do you talk about God or do you complain about all the problems that you have? Do you talk about God or are you listening to all the bad things that are happening in your life? Uh, this is very important. You know, what is being lifted up in your, in your life? Is all that you talk about is sports or, or cooking or home care or your work and, you, and God never gets mentioned? Who's, who's number one in your life? And I understand if you're at work and stuff, you have to do your work and, and all of that. That's one thing. You know, I can spend eight, you know, well, I couldn't spend eight hours a day without talking about God to some, at any point in my life. But, but only during breaks and lunch and times would I really bring God up or if I was asked. Because it was a critical, I was being paid to work, so I worked. But... That's about the only time when I could keep silent. If anybody ever spends any time around me, they know that. I love to talk about the Bible. We invite people oftentimes to have lunch with us, and we'll talk about the Bible and God and what's he doing and, and all of that type of stuff. Uh, speak all afternoon with people and answer questions about the Bible. Whatever it takes. But what is, how, how quickly does God come to your, the goodness of God come to your tongue? You know, and just think about that. It's, not a, it's just a challenge for you to think about on a rhetorical basis. Some people I know, they talk about Jesus to everybody and everyone they see. Other people I spend time with them, in the, and you never hear a testimony of how they've spoken about God or what God's done. You know, I love Sharon. She takes and passes out the bulletins to the visitors at her shop. You know, here, here's a church bulletin. You know, you know, not that there's much in the church bulletin for, of interest other than maybe the web page, but it's still a way that people are being ministered to. When I look for a place, I said, you know our church that we have is all here. Looking for a place to buy, and it's a good church to go to. Yeah. I'm uh, not allowed to bring it up, but if the kids bring it up, I mm -hmm. can put my two cents or five cents or 20 cents. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's important. You know, how quickly do we talk about God? And... Is he really part of who we're treasuring in our heart, or is he just some kind of afterthought that we think about at certain points? You know what is neat? A lot of times now when I talk, I don't know how it comes out, but then after I'm talking a while, I'm talking about God. And I don't know how it really comes out, but then I heard it. I, used to, I would never, ever do that before. And now it's just like almost common. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't do it like how you do, you know, 
Which is the way it should be. But but it shows that the abundance of your heart is where God's at, and that's why He flows out. Because if He's not if He's not in the forefront of our thoughts and the, and the way we think and how we how we act, He's not going to come out. Because if we're not filling ourselves with His Word, we're not filling us with ourselves with His thoughts. There's nothing to come out. And this is why when, when I teach, I study quite a bit to teach, and most of what I study never gets taught to anybody other than me. Okay, It's just been studied, been studied, so that when God comes along in the middle of, the, of what I thought I was going to teach about and changes it, there's something there to be drawn from. When I'm in the middle of a conversation with somebody, all this study time has never gone to waste. Even though I may never say it in the group that I was planning to say it, it's stuck back there and God says, here it is. We get into the word, we study, we read it, and we're filling our mind with all this information. And God says his word never returns void. Even when we speak it, because people go, well, how do you witness to somebody who doesn't believe the Bible? It's real simple. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Bible verse. <laughs> the wages of sin is death, the Bible verse. I'm going to give them the Bible anyway. Whether they believe it or not is irrelevant because God says his word does not return void. His word is what will convict. His word is what will change lives. And all I do is I give them the word. Well, how do I counsel somebody? We give them the word. They don't believe the word, big deal. I'm still going to give them the word. Okay? They don't believe that what they're doing is a sin. I give them the Bible verse that says it's a sin. They don't believe it, not my problem. That's between them and God. God's word will sit there in the back of their mind and chip away at them saying, uh, well, I don't believe it. You know, there's the Bible verse echoing in their mind. At least they heard the correct. Uh, what they, at least they hear what you said that is correct. They hear the correct. They hear the correct. They don't need your opinion. They don't need your, your, your rationale. The easiest way to share the gospel is through the scriptures. You give them your testimony, you give them the scriptures. All of sin to come short of the glory of God, but the wages of sin of death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. You know, we just keep giving all the different word. We give ourselves the word. When we're having a hard time, give yourself the word. Even if you're having a hard time believing it at that moment, give yourself the word. Now, I've learned over, over time that there's certain times you don't want to. When people are having a really hard time, in temptation and trials and, and hardships, that is not the time to quote Romans 8.28 to them, which says, all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. When you're in the middle of a trial, you either believe that verse or you don't believe that verse. For me, I quote that verse back to myself when I start str struggling because to me, I know that it's true. But I've learned the hard way, don't quote that verse to somebody who doesn't believe it in the first place. Yeah. It, God says, forsake not the assembly of yourself together and so much more as you see the day approaching. But that's between them and God. If they don't want to, I'm not going to sit there and try to twist their arm and make them go. Now, my kids were made to go to church. That was just a given. They were going to go to church. There was no question of that. But I never really had a problem with them because Lynn and I both went to church. So it wasn't real hard to make them go to church. Because you're not staying home alone. You are going with us in the story. And 
you know, they would give me a little flack once in a while, but pretty much because I went to church and Lynn went to church, it was, okay, we're going, we're going to church. There was no question about going to church. And for us, that meant going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. When it came to youth Bible study for the kids when they were teenagers, that was kind of up to them. I gave them a little leeway on that one because I wasn't necessarily going, so if they didn't want to go, I wasn't going to force that one on them. But they pretty much usually wanted to go because we had set the standard, you go. And this is just it. We, we teach, we speak the word, we invite, but everything is always between the individual and God. It always is. When, when somebody is living in a sinful lifestyle, God calls it sin, and, it's, and we let them know that it's sin. Do we condemn them for it? No, because it's between them and God. When I was working in one particular restaurant, I took it over, and, and most of the crew were homosexuals. And they didn't know that I knew this, because they pretty much did a good job keeping it out of the store, which was what I wanted. But I sat down with my assistant manager one time because she had a bunch of problems. I had been assigned to another store and she was running the store. So she called me up and said, I need, I need help. And I came in, I told her all about the problems she was facing. And somehow homosexuality came up and she goes, you know that I'm a, a lesbian? I go, I know that. She goes, you didn't know that. I go, I know that. I know who all the homosexuals are in the store. And she goes, you don't. So I went down the list, told her who they are. And she goes, how would you know that? And I said, God told me. She goes, well, what do you think about that? And I go, my professional or, or, or business opinion of it, <laughs> or personal opinion. And basically I told her, God calls it a sin, keep it out of my store, and that's between you and God. Okay. And that's my personal opinion. God calls it a sin, keep it to yourself. It's between you and God. Because any sin is a sin that is against God. <coughs> And it's something you have to deal with between you and God. Or they have to work on it between them and God. Our job as Christians is to show them love. Show them God's love. Show them that God loves them. Even though they're in a sin. And some sins, you know, have greater consequence than others. All sins lead, lead to hell if they're not forgiven by Jesus Christ's grace. But... All sin is between them and God, no matter what it is. Whether they're homosexuals, fornicators, adulterers, thieves, liars, uh, whatever it might be that they are, their sin is between them and God. Even in the case of murder, David was said, against you and you only have I sinned. And you think about that, he, mur he murdered Uriah, which hurt, hurt uh uh, Bathsheba hurt Uriah's family, made them angry at him, and cost him later on when, when the rebellion of Absalom occurred. It was because Absalom had the help of Bathsheba's grandfather. grandfather because he was angry with David for the murder of Uriah. Okay? There was a heavy consequence that was paid by David for that sin, even though God forgave it. And we need to keep in mind the individual's problem is between them and God. Now, oftentimes we think it's between us and them, but it really is between them and God. And our job as Christians is to love them. And that's not always easy, especially if it's something that affected us in a great way. 
you know, they, they lie about us, they, they, they make people look at us bad, you know. It's still the sin is between them and God, not between us and them. We may be bothered by it, we may not like them because of it, but our job is to still love them. And that doesn't mean we might not even like them. You know, and you want to get that through. Loving somebody does not mean they're going to be your best friend and you're going to like being around them. But you're going to be kind to them. You're going to be nice to them when you are around them and just show God's love. Again, sometimes that's not easy to do, especially if you're really, you know, when you get around that person that makes your skin crawl because you just don't like being around them. You don't like who they are. You don't like what they say. You don't like what they do. But our job is to love them and show God's love to them. Give me your love. My love is way insufficient, and I know that you don't want me to feel this way. Mm -hmm. So please give me your love. Next thing you know, I'm just crazy. <laughs> and God has a tendency to do that for us. Well, God has a tendency to do that to us when we really ask him to show us, have the, show us his love for them. It's amazing sometimes how you find that you just can't not show God's love to them. And his it's an amazing love. thing when his love takes over. I have. And you may never get the answer of why. All you can do is pray for his salvation. <laughs>